You're listening to episode 32, the Curate Connections mashup. This episode is brought to you by Drop Counter. Hi, this is Alan Heyman, president of Blue Drop. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the power of communication and collaboration in the water sector. It's water in real life with our friends and Blue Drop partners, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. Outside reviewers, not to make decisions, but just to comment back on what they get and what they don't get, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, provides an amazing amount of information so that they have a better sense of how people in their target audience will view it, make sense out of it, because ultimately you don't want to say, well, I said exactly what I wanted to say. No, you want to have an impact. You want something to happen. So for the next few weeks before we kick off season two, we're releasing weekly mashups of all previous episodes. And we've started by making each week representative of a different core value. And so last week was all about boldness and this week we're focusing on connections. So curating connections. And we start with Kendall Haven from episode 25, who is a researcher and author of The Brain Science Behind the Power of Storytelling. And he reminds us that if you wanna connect, you have to make it all about your audience. Then you're going to hear from Sarah Zink in episode 26, who we spoke with about emotional intelligence. So to make connections, you have to build relationships. And when it comes to relationships, you have to start with yourself, meaning you have to know yourself before you can even begin to understand someone else. Tia Leb Harris from episode 28, who is a star networker herself, gave us some advice on networking for professionals just getting into this water game. And we end with three stories from Kun Kunaraksa, who is a portfolio manager at water.org. We've been sharing these stories and presentations lately, a lot lately, because they were so powerful in making us feel connected to people doing the work that matters, just like us, but all across the world. So without further ado, let's get to the show. If you want to communicate, you got to start not with where you are, not with what you know, not with what you want to say but with where your target audience is, with what they know, with what they think, even if what they think is wrong, start there and then figure out how you're going to lead them from there toward where you want to go. The longer you've gone without that kind of regular communication, then the bigger that gap is. But the mandate to, to start with where they are, what they think, what they know, what they understand stays the same. For example, if you move into a city and you've lived there for 20 years, you can't Mm -hmm. relate to the new homeowner who just moved in and is trying to set up their water bill. And it it is from 1985 processes (laughs) and it is a pain in the butt. And I experienced that just recently in the last couple of years. and, And it was like a huge driving factor for why we needed to update some software or even have um, a better process for new homeowners, especially all these new or all these cities who have all these homes coming or people coming in from all over the, the country at a fast fa- at a fast pace. The people who are making the decision of um, whether or not they need that, you know, new data or the new um, software, the new programs, they don't have that experience of moving into the new city like these new people do. Like, oh, oh my gosh, you're going to yeah. get me fired up. Yeah. And I mean, we, and it's a blessing and a curse. We have so many uh, professionals in our industry who have been there for decades. And so being able to kind of get beyond those issues, like is there 
<laughs> is there a way to get how do you like overcome like those curses? Acknowledging the bias. Yeah. Like how do you, do you just have to, yeah. How do you even get beyond those? The, two to, the first step is of course, is just to acknowledge that they exist. Mm. Right. Uh, and then the way to get around them is to run material. This, this is writers use editors. Mm. Now, when you write a book, let's say you write a novel, you've often spent a couple of years, and for some people it's five or six years working on a book and living in that world, and then you write it all down, and you want to publish it, because you know it's just amazing, it's just perfect the way it is, and so it winds up with an editor, and, and, and writers always come to hate editors, and the editor says, well, I don't get this part, change this part, that part fell flat. What you're the role of the editor really is to look at the material that they're given through the eyes of someone who is not in the family and doesn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then to comment back to the person who knows, Jeff's mom. then the person who knows can decide, oh, that's important information. I, it never occurred to me that I, you would know that. So w applying that kind of a concept, um, outside reviewers not to make decisions but just to comment back on what they get and what they don't get what makes sense and what doesn't make sense mm -hmm. provides an amazing amount of information to the to the to the people who are designing that piece whatever that's going to be a talk or a brochure or mm -hmm. you know a video whatever it's going to be so that they have a better sense of how people in their target audience yeah will view it, make sense out of it, because ultimately you, you don't want to say, well, I said exactly what I wanted to say. No, you, you want to have an impact. You yeah. want something to happen. Yeah. So that's where the, to get someone who isn't in the family, who doesn't know what you're talking about, to, re, to read it, to review it, to see it, not to make decisions on it, but just to give you feedback on what they understand, what makes sense, what doesn't. So you can look for those two curses and mm. counter them. That's awesome. Yeah, I am a huge, I'm a huge movie fan, movie buff, and I'm taking this master class with screenwriter Aaron Sorkin, who did like mm. a few good men. Sure. And Love him. Yeah. yeah, he's as good as you get. And he's he was talking about how when character writing, and he was talking about the only the only character that I know is if the character is a straight white Jewish guy, cause that's what he is. And he was yeah. like, if I'm writing any other character outside of that, I make sure I have somebody who can represent that character in my writer's room. And um, I thought that that was amazing. And like another piece of advice that kind of came from a world outside of ours is yep. that that's exactly what you're talking about is having somebody, having people who represent your target audience to help you create uh, content that's going to resonate with them, which is the whole right. point. So, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. You know, you've mentioned about doing this emotional intelligence consulting for companies, and you've kind of are these action items that you just gave us sort of like the first step that you lead people through in terms of being more self aware of their own emotions, or is there something else that you do too to kind of help guide them through that process? Well, in working with companies, there's a few things that I think are really important. 
I think people have to understand their behavior style. I'm a huge fan of the DISC model of behavior. Mm-hmm. And I say that because the three of us could be the exact same personality. We're hardwired. When you come out of the womb, you're just hardwired to have a certain personality. Anybody who's seen 10 babies in a row, you know, they all, we all just have different personalities. But our behavior style comes from a combination of whatever personality we're born with and coupled with the experiences that we have in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, um, we could have the exact same personality style but behave in entirely different ways. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to understand who you are as a person. So self-awareness, to answer your question, yes, I always tell people self-awareness is the first thing. And, And being able to label your feelings in the workplace in particular because the three big ones in the workplace are anger, fear, and sadness. Mm-hmm. Because think about it. When you feel happy, I don't need to help you manage your emotions. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's when the most destructive in the workplace are the anger, fear, and sadness. So yeah. I always tell people in the work, work environment, you really have to begin to focus on what on yourself. It's so easy. Think about it. In the workplace, I don't want people focused on other people. I, that's the third step. The first step is just being aware of yourself. Mm-hmm. The second step is being aware of how the mix is, the sw- you know, the, the whole, the Petri dish. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And then the third one is, of course, you know, being able to look at other people. So like the disc assessment and kind of like understanding your own personality is kind of like your baseline. It is. It absolutely is. I, okay. I actually, that's one of the first things I do uh, whenever possible. There's some clients who, um, uh, decline that. Mm. And I can tell you that I have had all but one come back and say, yeah, we probably need to do that. <laughs> but, but I would just say to people, it's pretty obvious. I mean, there's some pretty obvious behaviors and we can talk about disc, you know, at another time, but I will say you don't need disc. You don't need to, if you're listening to this, you don't need to know your behavior style to be able to say, I need to begin to label my emotions. I need to begin to be able to say, and, and not you make me mad. It really is giving up so much power when you say, well, she makes me mad or he makes me feel a certain way. Okay. Um, so looking through some of the, the resources on emotional intelligence that you gave us, you talked about um, emotional self-management and you've kind of already touched on sort of learning how to manage your emotion or your responses, but um, like, what are some things that you kind of give to clients to like, what does that mean for them? Like, what does that look like outside of the theory of it, but in practice? So here's some things. So um, in, th- there's some common emotional reactions in the workplace and there's, um, there's five of them really, that I think we all experience. So in the workplace, when I talk about managing your emotions, so frustration is the first one. Uh, I feel trapped. Uh, it, 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 it becomes when I feel stuck. Um, I, may, I may not, a colleague may be intentionally or unintentionally blocking my way. And so when we, when we run into that, typically that's when we start doing some very predictable behavior we're going to badmouth that person. Mm-hmm. We're going to say they're a problem, they're just a butt, they're a difficult boss or a difficult coworker. But I think that um, you know these feelings of frustration come from a very legitimate cause in many cases, but our responses in any difficult circumstance, 
the three words that matter, the, the three biggest words that matter is what happens next. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it doesn't matter what you do. You want to be a horse's ass. Okay. But what matters is what I do. And so what's my response to that? I can't control you. Even if you're my employee, you can still do what you want. But my response is what matters. So the first one is frustration. So there's, there's three, the three, three big things. There's what, first of all, stop. You know, we don't stop again. Your IQ just dropped 30 points. Yeah. Yep. You might want to stop. This is what people like me or any speaker that you've ever listened to says, breathe. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> for years and years, I thought it was just like a stalling technique. Yeah. Well, then when I began to discover emotional intelligence, I realized, oh my gosh, this is not a stalling technique. This is, you know, to, to, to puff your IQ back up. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the first one is to just pause and to evaluate what else, again, the curious Okay, so I, you guys want to do something, and I said, no, not today. Mm-hmm. And you're frustrated. Well, you can either assume why I did that, mm-hmm. or you can say, okay, what else might be true? You don't even have to talk to me. You might, you might just say, well, okay, did she have something else come up, or did this happen, or did that happen, or maybe she doesn't have all the things she needs. So mm-hmm. we have to stop and evaluate what else might be true. And, I, I, again, you can take any good advice to a rabbit hole, so this doesn't mean you excuse bad behavior. I don't deal in exceptions. So there's always the exception. There's the crappy boss or the crappy coworker. But I'm talking about in general. Um, the second thing is, what is the universe trying to tell you? Look for the positive here. And I'm not in. I'm I'm into sugar-free positivity. So okay, <laughs> if, if I'm not talking about like Pollyanna here, but if something happens that sucks, a what else might be true? But b what is the universe telling me? Am I not ready? Did I miss something? Is there mm-hmm. some piece of this that, I mean, there have been times when my goals have been thwarted mm-hmm. and I was not happy, but I tried to take my own advice and I said, okay, fine, you know, fine. Mm-hmm. And I started looking to see, okay, well, what can I do in the meantime? And I realized, oh my gosh, I forgot something. Mm-hmm. So it, it actually worked out to my benefit or I was able to make my product even better because of the delay. And then the third thing is to remember, um, you know, uh, stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so you, you sometimes just have to say, okay, so that's frustration. So, so you want to hear some more? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Give us one more. I'll give you one more. So there's, there's five big ones. So I'll let you pick. So we talked about frustration. There's worry, anger, dislike, and disappointment. Oh, wow. It's like field day. I don't know. <laughs> Can we just like spin spin the wheel yeah. or something? Okay. Spin the wheel. Big money, big money, big money. You pick. <laughs> okay. Arianne. Right, so Arianne picked disappointed. <laughs> so right. uh, of all the emotions that you're going to feel like work, uh, feel at work, disappointment and unhappiness is the one that probably impacts your productivity the most. And that's because you, you don't care. You, you, you have hit a point where you're like, fine, great, fine, whatever. And, and you have this sense that, that you, you know, your energy, you physically, your energy is low, but emotionally you're like, who cares? It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Checked and, out. Yeah, you are. And we've all seen people who are checked out. And in many cases, people who have checked out 
have been disappointed. And most of the times they've been disappointed because they tried to be innovative. They tried to be agile. They tried to do the right thing and they got bonked on the head every single time. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes I tend to make value judgments about crappy attitude employees without asking myself what else might be true. What's the backstory? Mm-hmm. And so when we experience disappointment, there's there's two or three things here. I think the first one is is we have to say to ourselves again back to the crap happens, but we have to look at patterns. For me, I don't care about one-off behaviors. We have to look at patterns. And, and patterns matter. Mm-hmm. So let, is this a one-off disappointment? Am I just, is this an emotional chain of events? And this doesn't happen all the time, but I had a flat tire, hit a dog, you know, stubbed my toe, broke a nail, whatever. And I came in and this thing happened. Mm-hmm. And so it, am I disappointed because it's just this emotional chain of events? Or is there a pattern? Because patterns matter. Mm-hmm. If we say we want to be agile, but we aren't willing to make changes, then the bigger issue is you're not disappointed in this circumstance. You're disappointed in the pattern. And so you have to actually address something different. And, but emotionally, we're like, well, my boss just hates me. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's that the infrastructure of the department or the company is set up in such a way that he can't go around it. Right. And so the infrastructure must be addressed. And so when we have disappointment, we also maybe need to adjust our goals. In many cases, the companies that I work with cannot make the changes. With They think they can do it in six months. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> I mean, we're talking about employees who have been somewhere 30, 40 years. Right. And you're thinking that you're going to make a culture change in six months? Mm. Sometimes we're disappointed because we set an unrealistic goal and didn't even know it. Yeah. And so I think we have to look at incremental change. And, and so sometimes readjusting the goal. Uh, another thing is, is that we have to look at our role. The big thing that emotional intelligence demands is that we look at the role we play. Mm-hmm. What role did you play in this? Now, sometimes it just might be that you had an expe- unspoken expectation. Mm-hmm. And again, this comes from emotional intelligence is being able to say, oh, hey, I just assumed that my boss would like this jo- this this project. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to them and they don't, well, you, you don't know what's going on in his world. Maybe he just got chewed out about something that he didn't even do. Mm-hmm. So again, we have to look at, at, at patterns. We have to evaluate our role. And then we have to just recognize that um, our ability to be resilient um, is, is entirely within our control. Mm. I love it. Uh, you jackpotted on picking that one. Yeah. So you kind of just always draw in people to you. You've got like that natural charisma where it's like, I want to be that chick's friend, but like, (laughs) what's some advice you can give to the, the YPs, the young professionals out there who are kind of just getting into this networking game. Totally. I have lots of advice for them because (laughs) it's not, you know, I think once I get in it, I'm like, yeah, I'm here, but I get nervous before networking events yeah. and I do my research. You know, sometimes I feel like a stalker, but it's cool. <laughs> um, we call those sleuthers yeah. and it's perfectly fine. Yeah. Cool. So my advice for young professionals is like, do your sleuthing ahead of time. Be prepared yeah. walking in. Know a couple of people that you'd like to talk to and, and have questions lined up for them. Um one of my rules that carries over from community organizing, which I've done a bad job of this, but you guys are interviewing me, so it's okay, um, <laughs> is that I generally try to maintain, never really hit, but my goal is like an 80-20 rule when I'm networking of listening 80%, talking 20%. Um, 
you know, it, it generally evens out more like 60, 40, probably, yeah. but really going in thinking, how can I get people talking to me and telling me their story versus right. walking in and telling them. Um, and then my other biggest one is not being afraid to laugh, um, especially at yourself. Yeah. So, um, I think that is something that you just, you have like people, everyone's been in this situation before. We've all been to networking events where we don't know anyone. We've all been the person in the room. That's like, well, yeah. uh, I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go fill up my plate with food because I don't know. <laughs> to yeah. to, Shoveling you know? it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, smiling, laughing, making eye contact and not being afraid to just dive in and ask someone like, Hey, what's up? Yeah, what's yeah. your name? What do you do? One time, so sidebar, one time out at a networking event for an organization that I work for. And I was so nervous. I was like 20, I think. Mm. And I walked up to this guy and I was like, Hey, um, Tia, what do you do? And he was like, I run this organization and I worked for the organization. I didn't know what he looked like. And I was like, Oh, cool, 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 cool. Okay, bye. <laughs> and that was my like, I always need to look up pictures of people because I yeah. need to know what people look like because that was a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Arian was actually laughing at me uh, because that's that was also what was cool about uh, going to WebTech and WSI this year is that through the podcast and through like Twitter, social media, we've made so many connections but not in real life. And so at, at both of these conferences, there were instances where we were meeting these people in person for the first time. And I would just be like, uh, oh, there goes so-and-so, or oh, I think that's so-and-so. And she was like, dang, Hawkeye over here. Yeah. <laughs> and they know them by like their Twitter handle or something like, yeah. hashtag I love water, and you're like, or I mean, at I love water or whatever. And you're like, oh, that's, that's not their real name. But. Yeah. yeah, so that was, uh, yes. Look up those pictures because yeah. that's uh, or like maybe like know the handle name too because that's a good conversation starter. Like, mm -hmm. hey, what's up uh, at Water Jedi? You know, like you, yeah. I don't even know what your real name is. <laughs> totally. And then you laugh and it's like you started the yeah. conversation, you know, on a good foot. Yes. <laughs> and for the record, as Arian said, we know Water Jedi's real name, but yes, that is his handle. But. <laughs> So you've shared with us um, some of your favorite stories already and this whole idea that um, your people on the ground are having to communicate the value of water over there as well. Um, and for us, we've, like I said, we've used some of the stories that we see like on the water.org website and like the facts that you have. Um, but it's really story that drives everything home. And you've had some amazing kind of firsthand experiences, a few of them you shared, but what are a few more of kind of your favorite stories from the field of interactions that you've had with people who now have access to water? Sure. Uh, I have three favorite stories and two of them uh, about how the, have, how about how water and sanitation being at home impact their life. Mm. And, and the last story will be more on from my recent trip. So the, the first two stories were during one of the first few trips I went to Indonesia after joinwater.org. So I remember I went on this trip and we went to Boko. It's a, it's a city nearby Jakarta. Mm -hmm. And we visited uh, a house. And this woman, she took a, to uh, took a toilet loan to build a toilet within her house. And we went in and we talked to her how 
have by having the toilet at home change her life. And she kept smiling again. And that's what I liked the most. Like yeah. people kept smiling and, and she, and she were, were explaining, Oh, we, we use toilet at home now. And then suddenly she said, Kun, everyone come with me. And then she walked out, at the back door to the backyard uh-huh. down uh, to the river. So the river is actually behind her house, not that far away. Mm-hmm. And then she crossed the river and say, this is how I used to go to toilet. Mm. And that was like the aha moment was mm. like, wow. She had to cross the river to go to the bathroom. Exactly. Like, exactly. Tell me, like, tell me about this river. Like, you know, it was, was, it, just, was it the most pristine, clean thing in the world with crystal? It's clean? not like a big river. It's like a, a creek, you know, like, okay. and then she just go to the, the other there, side and then it's like kind of like some wooden, you know, gosh. go out and then, okay, kind of demonstrate how she did before. And that's like, wow. wow. Yeah. And, that's, and that's one of the first few trips they went. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And, and this is why I love working yeah. at water.org. Yeah. We see the impact on the people we serve in a short period of time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, no late and, night, no late night bathroom break. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and the, the second story was during the same trip, actually. So we went to this uh, village in central Java and uh, we visited a village that we have our rural water utility program. Mm-hmm. And just a little bit about the program is that we work with these small uh, rural water utilities to help them uh, get loan from the bank and expand or improve their operation. So this, utili- this utility, they got a loan to buy new pumps, get a new water storage and expand the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I remember very clear that during this, uh, group uh, this meeting, the head of the village was giving a speech, and he was start talking about how this you know program helped them, and then he started crying, oh, wow. and then he cried, and he couldn't say anything anymore, mm. and that touched me the most yeah. mm. to see someone on the ground or these people, you know feel the impact and see the impact from getting water using at home. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not only about having a water connection. It's about giving more time for them, mm-hmm. unlock or open more opportunities for their family and sure. people they love, the, uh, the, the ones they love. Mm-hmm. So those two are the, the, the stories that I can remember very clear until mm-hmm. today, even though it's two or three years ago. And the last story that I want to share, it's about, uh, it's from my recent trip to Cambodia. So I went there a month ago because we are expanding our water utility program there. And part of this trip, I visited uh, a water utility because we are trying to find uh, a qualified utility to work with. And part of the, the, the meeting with the water utility uh, I had to ask questions about the mission and how the operation is. And, I, and the, the, the owner and the manager of this utility, his name is uh, Mr. Jandian. Mm-hmm. He started telling me about his story. So he, he said that when he was young, his mom asked him to collect water 
and he had to wake up in the morning and go to the lake nearby his house to collect water. And there was one day, it was around 4 a.m. That's really early, you can imagine. <laughs> and it was dark. It was really cold. And he went out to collect water as usual. Mm-hmm. And But this day, he fell down into the lake. Mm. And imagine a kid fell into the water when it was super cold. Sure. And he told me that as soon as he got out of the, uh, the lake, he told himself he, that he will run a water utility one day. Wow. That was like, wow. wow. And, and after yeah. that, he was like, Kun, do you see that, that water storage? That's the, fir- the small one. That's the first one we use to serve part of the community. Wow. And then do you see the second one? Oh, wow. that's when we expand. And then the last one, oh, the one under construction right now, that will be the one, the new water storage we're going to use to serve every single house within oh, the community. Wow. <laughs> and that's like, touch yeah. me. And there's, mm. and there's no doubt about his commitment to serve the, uh, the, the communities around his right. house. I, I would say he's qualified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I and love I, that story. I love that you ask uh, the people that you're potentially going to partner with what their mission is. Cause I mean, that's a big, that's a big part of it. You, it's not only just the skill, but you know, what are you trying to accomplish and why are you trying to accomplish it? Because that why is, is gonna, that why is going to be what gets you out of that lake when you're a little kid and you're cold. It's, you know, it's, it's more than just the skill. So that, oh, I love that story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that one. You're welcome. And, and, you know, implementing new program, it just, you need to get people to understand how it works. But what is more important is the commitment. And yeah. from my portfolio, at least I can see that the partners that are reaching many, many people are the ones that the management are committed Mm-hmm. And that's really important as we talked before, right? Buy right. in is key. Buy yep. in is key. I love it. We hope you enjoyed this mashup and tune in every Monday as we drop new mashups leading up to season two that drops on January 28th with the George Hawkins, a.k.a. the Bono of the water industry. So I have a few action items for you before we part ways today. Number one, if you haven't already, please make sure to sign up for our email newsletter by going to vh2duo.com. We want to keep in touch with you and email is really the best way for us to do that, especially to let you know about new episodes when they drop. Second, Please check us out on iTunes and rate and review the Water in Real Life podcast there. Third, please share, 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 share. We do sponsored ads, but it just means so much more when it comes directly from a friend. And finally, did you know that Ariane and I own a public communication company called Rogue Water? Yeah, this is our chance to work together, y'all. Check us out at roguewatergroup.com. And shoot us a message if you think there's a way that we can work together to do the work that matters. We hope you learned something new today, got a little different perspective, or did something that moved you one step closer to your goals. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. 